Amen. Well, if you take your Bible now and turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. We're in Habakkuk chapter 3 this week. It's the uh, last uh, chapter uh, in the book, uh, but we've got this week and next week uh, to finish off the book of Habakkuk. We've been walking along with Habakkuk on his journey from doubt to faith. Habakkuk was a prophet, and yet he still had some questions for God, didn't he? We've looked at Habakkuk's three big questions. Does God care? Is God fair? Is God there? And we've seen that instead of running away from God with his questions, instead Habakkuk brought his questions to God, and he hammered them out in prayer. And you know what? God answered him every time. It wasn't always the the answer that Habakkuk expected or, or even the answer that he wanted, but God answered his questions, and God steadily led him along the journey from doubt to faith. We've already looked at Habakkuk's first two questions. Today we come to his third question. Is God there? And in Habakkuk chapter 3, this chapter records for us Habakkuk's, excuse me, his closing prayer in his journey. And the implied complaint behind this prayer is that God isn't there. That God's not there. That's question number three, isn't it? But this time, very interesting, instead of asking God to answer his complaint, this time Habakkuk answers it himself. You go, how do you do that? Well, he answers it himself as he reflects on God's works and wonders for Israel over the centuries. And it is through this time of prayer and reflection that Habakkuk finally comes to this place of hope and confidence in God. That allows him to praise God with rejoicing even as he anticipates the most difficult of circumstances. So that's where we are this morning as we head into this chapter. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 6 as we get started, but we'll go through uh, all of verses 1 through 15 in the course of the message. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Habakkuk chapter 3, I'll be reading verses 1 through 6. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. On Shigianoth, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we look into this vision of Habakkuk, as we uh, study this prayer, uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, to come to an assurance of your presence, that you are indeed God, that you are indeed there, that you are indeed here with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. When our son Timothy was a child, uh, Rosie and I passed by his 
bedroom one evening, and we heard him talking out loud in his bedroom. And uh, you know, he was supposed to be asleep, so you know, we peeked through the crack in his door, trying to figure out what's going on. He's standing on his bed with his head lifted up towards the ceiling. And he was saying this, God, are you there? God, are you listening? God, God, are you there? So we went in and asked him what he was doing. And he said, well, I wanted to talk to God, but I can't see him. And so I was just wondering if he was here, if God was there. And so we talked to him a little bit about prayer and how even though we cannot see God, God is always there. And he always hears our prayers. Is God there? Folks, this is perhaps the most basic of all questions that people ask about God. It's also the most basic level of faith. For example, we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, tells us this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Is God there? Does God exist? And yet, you know, there's another way we sometimes ask this question, though. When we ask, is God there? We're not asking about God's existence always. Habakkuk, he didn't doubt God's existence, right? No, Habakkuk wondered about God's presence. God, are you there? Do you know what I'm going through? Are you there to help me through this time of difficulty? God, I desperately need your presence. God, are you there? And that's what Habakkuk was struggling with. And here in chapter 3, we find a remarkable prayer where Habakkuk basically answers his own question and finally emerges at a place of faith and confidence rather than doubt and fear. So that's what we're looking at this morning. How can you and I, how can you be assured of God's presence? There's an outline in your worship guide if you'd like to take that out to follow along or jot down some notes as we go along. But we're going to look at chapter 3 together now and see what can we learn from Habakkuk's prayer. And the very first thing we learn is this. You need, the first thing you need to do if you want to know God's presence in your life, if you want the assurance of God's presence, what you need to do is approach God in an attitude of worship. It's the first thing. Approach God in an attitude of worship. And that's exactly what Habakkuk does here in chapter 3, right? Look at verse 1 with me. Verse 1 provides the title for the whole chapter. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on... Say it with me. It's just such a fun word. Shigianoth. What? Say it. It's fun. Shigianoth. We'll get to that in a second. So chapter 3 records for us this prayer from Habakkuk to God. Now, when I talk to God... And I'm sure you do the same. I usually just talk to him, okay? I, I don't craft my words. I, I don't plan out any long speeches in advance uh, any more than I do when I'm talking with a friend or a neighbor. I just talk to God. But Habakkuk's prayer here in chapter 3, it's a little different. Now, we're not sure exactly what that word shigianoth means there, okay, at the end of verse 1, uh, but it seems to be some kind of musical term. In fact, the The psalm closes, if you've got your Bible open, you'll look at the end. It closes with instructions for the director of music and says, accompany this with stringed instruments. And so Habakkuk chapter 3, it's not only a prayer, this is also what we call a psalm. 
It is a hymn or a worship song. It is a musical prayer, okay? And musical prayers, they are different from our regular prayers when we just talk to God day to day. Let me give you several ways that a musical prayer is different. First of all, a musical prayer is a written prayer. It's a written prayer. It's not just spoken. The author of a written prayer thinks about what they want to say first, then they write it out. And it takes time to do that. You might go through several drafts. You might cross things out and and put something else and just trying to get your words just right. And I would imagine most of us are probably not used to writing out our prayers, but I want you to know this morning, it is a valid way that we can communicate with God our Father. Sort of like writing God a letter, right? We do that with each other, right? We write each other letters. Sometimes because we're far away, but sometimes we we just know we're going to be able to communicate better. We're going to be able to get our thoughts down. And so we take the time and we write a letter. Writing out a prayer, that can be a valuable way to communicate with God also. Secondly, a music prayer is not only a written prayer, but it's also a poem. Now, when you go to poetry, you go to a whole other level, right? Poetry uses condensed language, heightened language. Poetry requires composition. The writer chooses the words carefully, not only for their content, but also for their imagery, for rhythm and rhyme. Now, once again, not all of us are gifted with poetic language. But if you are gifted in this way, if you've written poems before, you may want to consider writing out a prayer to God in poetic form. What a beautiful way to pray to God. Habakkuk did that. And then thirdly, a musical prayer is not only a written prayer, it's not only a poem, but it's also a song. It's a song, and music adds a a whole additional element to prayer because music engages our emotions in a different way. Also, songs are meant to be sung over and over again, right? Worship songs are not just one-time prayers. No, they are prayers that can be presented to the Lord repeatedly. And then another neat thing about worship songs and hymns and musical prayers is that they can be shared, right? So a wide range of people can use the words and music of the song to approach God in worship. And I love the hymns and, and the, the worship songs that we sing in church. I grew up singing songs of worship to God. It's part of my, my heritage. I thank God for giving people the ability with words and music to, to write songs that help me in my worship. And I particularly thank God for the various songs that are recorded for us in the Bible, in God's Word. Because notice this, when you read or sing a psalm from Scripture, you have one more added dimension now that this is also God's inspired Word. You have the confidence that these words from God are completely true. They have been given to you from God through the writer of the psalm specifically to help you in your worship. Habakkuk chapter 3, it's one of those songs. It's one of those songs. I want you to notice how Habakkuk begins his prayer. Verse 2, this is our memory verse. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. O Lord, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Remember what we said you need to do if you want to know God's presence, if you want to be assured of God's presence, you begin with worship. What does Habakkuk do here? 
he begins with worship. You know, too often we rush right into prayer with all of our requests. It's prayer time. Oh, God, I need this, I need this, I need this. Can you do that, right? All that. You know, that was Habakkuk's problem earlier, wasn't it? His earlier prayers were what? They were all complaints to God. Now, we've seen that there's, there's nothing wrong with bringing your questions and your needs and your complaints to God. We've seen God wants you to talk honestly with him. But if you want to know God's presence... You must begin with worship. Remember last week when we finished out Habakkuk chapter 2? and After Habakkuk finished describing all the frantic activity of the nations apart from God, he closed out his chapter by saying this, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Now Habakkuk applies that truth to himself as he applies his own heart to worship. So how do you worship God? Well, there are many ways, but let me bring out two of the main things this morning. First of all, you adore God for who he is. Adore God for who he is. That's what Habakkuk prays in verse 2. He says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I know who you are. God is the famous one. Perhaps you know that worship song by Chris Tomlin. Uh, He says, you are the Lord, the famous one. Great is your name in all the earth. The heavens declare you're glorious. Great is your fame beyond the earth. God is awesome. He is magnificent. He is beautiful. He is all-powerful, all-loving, all-glorious, all-righteous, all-wise. He is, as the Scriptures tell us, the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God to whom be honor and glory forever. And so you focus your heart and your mind on God and you adore him for who he is. You worship him in the beauty of his holiness. Speak to him. Lift up your hands to him. Fall down before him. How do you worship God? First of all, simply adore him for who he is. And then secondly, praise God for what he's done. That's what Habakkuk does. He continues praying in verse 2. He moves from, I've heard of your fame. He says, I stand in awe of all your deeds, praising God for what he's done. And so you praise God for what he's done, not only in your life, but in all of life. Praise him for his wonderful works in creation. Praise him for his awesome deeds in history. Praise him for calling out a people for his very own. Praise him for sending his son into our world to accomplish our salvation. And I love what Chris Tomlin did with his song, the famous one, because he starts off adoring God for who he is, and then he turns to doing what? Praising God for his deeds. He writes this, and for all you've done, there's the deeds, for all you've done and yet to do, with every breath I'm praising you. Desire of nations in every heart, you alone are God. You alone are God. How do you worship God? You adore him for who he is. You praise him for what he's done. You know, we often use that acronym ACTS, ACTS, uh, to help us understand the various parts of prayer. You've probably seen it before. A stands for adoration. C for confession. T for thanksgiving. S for supplication or making requests of God. Those are the four basic ways of approaching God in prayer. It's a great way to remember them. But you know what? It's also a great order to remember to use in prayer. Begin with what? 
adoration and praise. Then confess your sins to God. Then thank him for his goodness. Then present your requests. Do you want to be assured of God's presence in your life? Step number one, begin with worship. Worship is one of the key rest stops that you make again and again on the journey from doubt to faith. And then secondly, if you want to be assured of God's presence, remember God's mighty deeds of the past. And this is really the majority now uh, of Habakkuk's prayer in chapter 3. At its heart, Habakkuk's psalm is a song that describes God's awesome presence and deeds. Verses 3 through 15 uh, describe what we call a theophany. A theophany, that word theophany literally means an appearance of God. Now, of course, no one can actually see God, right? That's part of what we explained to Timothy that night uh, in his bedroom. God is too great. He is too powerful, too majestic, too holy to be seen with human eyes. 1 Timothy 6.16 tells us that God lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. God told Moses in, uh, in the Old Testament, Exodus 33.20, no one may see me and live. So in a theophany, people do not actually see God. Rather, they see visible markers of his presence. For example, on Mount Sinai, when God gave the Ten Commandments, there was thunder, lightning, fire, smoke. There was a great earthquake, and then there was the sound of a trumpet that grew louder and louder and louder. And you know what? The people of Israel did not see God that day. But you know what? I can guarantee you nobody was asking, God, are you there? Are you there? (laughs) Okay. God was clearly there. He was clearly present among them. And here in Habakkuk chapter 3, Habakkuk presents a, a similar theophany, but this time in the form of a vision. So unlike at, at God's, God's appearance at Sinai, unlike that, that was an actual theophany, an actual theophany that took place in history. Here Habakkuk uses the language of theophany to proclaim to the people of Israel, yes, God is there. And he does this by remembering God's mighty deeds of the past. So we're going to take a look at this now. Verses 3 through 15, they're first of all a word of warning. A word of warning that God conquers all enemies in his path. Let me walk you through these verses. Let's unpack some of the imagery uh, here in this song together. First, Habakkuk describes God's awesome appearance. God's awesome appearance. We see this in verses 3 through 7. God's visible appearance is pictured first as a great thunderstorm. Now, if you've ever been in a powerful uh, storm, you know that it is a meaningful picture of God's awesome power and majesty. When Rosie and I went through Hurricane Andrew down in Homestead in 1992, that whole experience left me uh, reflecting on God's awesome power and the coming day of judgment. Going through that storm, it was a terrifying experience, and yet I realized it was only a small glimpse of God's great majesty and power. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me now. It says this, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Now, Taman, that was south of Israel, was in the country of Edom. Mount Paran was in the wilderness between Edom and Mount Sinai. 
And so God's coming, his presence here is pictured as a thunderstorm that's approaching Israel from the south. His brightness lights up the sky. Remember, God is so bright you can't look directly upon him. Rays of lightning flash from his hands in this vision. And yet the full extent of God's power remains hidden. Then in verses 5 and 6, we read this. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. Now, plague and pestilence, those are both signs of God's judgment. Verse 5 can also be translated as flames went forth from his feet, another picture of judgment. All of this is a picture of God's awesome power and holiness as he walks through the land, judging the earth for its sins. Habakkuk says the nations tremble before him. The mountains and the hills, they crumble, they collapse in his presence. And the word translated collapse here in verse 6, it's a word that literally means to bow down. And so there's also this sense of God's creation bowing down in worship before him. And yes, the mountains may be ancient. The hills may have stood since ages old, but God's ways are eternal. And so they all fall down before him. We read in verse 7, I saw the tents of uh, Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. As, As God is coming up through the wilderness, the tent dwellers of Kushan and Midian are trembling in their tents as God passes by. And so, as Habakkuk remembers God's mighty deeds, first of all, he describes God's awesome presence, his awesome appearance here in verses 3 through 7. Then he goes on to describe God's conquest of his enemies. Look at verses 8 and 9. Habakkuk describes God's conquest over the rivers and the sea. He says, were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You notice there's three different words for anger in these verses. You have anger, wrath, and rage. The word translated anger here is a word that means hot or burning. The word translated wrath means breath or nostrils. The word for rage means to pour out or to overflow. You take them all together, and they speak of God's burning anger, the fierce blast of breath from his nostrils, his overflowing judgment poured out on his enemies because of their sin. Verses 9 through 12 continue. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth. In anger you threshed the nations. And so the fierce wind and the earthquake, now they're followed by a downpour. Water floods the earth as in the days of Noah, splitting the earth with rivers. The sea lifts its waves on high. Literally, the words are, they lift, lift their hands on high. We have a praise song like that. Lord, I lift your name on high. I lift my hands on high. This is flood imagery, but it's also a sign of submission and praise to the Lord. Habakkuk says, even the sun and the moon stand still in fear of God's awesome power. 
The flying arrows, the flashing spear. Remember, this is poetry, imagery. Uh, These are images, once again, uh, to lightning. God striding through the earth is perhaps another reference to thunder. Each of those thunderclaps, his footsteps on the earth. And so what we have here is all of the forces of nature, the mountains, the rivers and streams, the sea, the sun and the moon, all of these uh, forces of nature acknowledge God as he strides through the earth and threshes the nations in judgment. Now, the thing you need to know about Hebrew poetry is Hebrew poetry often borrows images from the mythologies of the surrounding nations. For example, uh, there are several passages in the Bible, uh, in, in, in poetic passages, that speak about God conquering Rahab. Well, who is Rahab? Well, Rahab in pagan myths was the the monster god of chaos, okay? And then uh, you you may remember this one. It speaks about God conquering Leviathan. Well, Leviathan was the seven-headed dragon from the sea. And it's not that the biblical writers believed that these creatures were real. Okay, they didn't believe they were real any more than they believed that the false god of Baal was real when they spoke about God defeating Baal. But it was their way of showing that God is superior to all the false gods of the nations, that he was conqueror over all of his enemies. And, and I share that with you because these next verses now, verses 13 through 15, picks up on some of the dragon imagery uh, in Scripture. It says, You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. From head to foot, verse 13, is literally from neck to tail. Okay, we translate it from head to foot, but from neck to tail. What's it doing? It's picturing God's conquest of the great dragon, Leviathan. Now, of course, if you look at other portions of Scripture, we know that Satan, Satan is also called the great dragon in Scripture. And so this is also a picture of God's final conquest of Satan and all of his forces. And finally, verse 15 says that God tramples the sea. In the Bible, the sea is a symbol of all the evil forces in the world that stand opposed to God. And so verses 3 through 15, these are, first of all, they're a word of warning. God's coming. Is God there? Yeah, he's there. He's here. He's coming. And he conquers all enemies in his path. But at the same time, those same verses are also a word of comfort. They're a word of comfort that God comes to deliver his people. So yeah, Habakkuk wants us to understand, yes, God is there. He conquers all his enemies. That's the word of warning. But he also wants us to know that God is there and he comes to deliver his people. There's the word of comfort. On one level, Habakkuk's song gives us this dramatic picture of God coming up from the south and completely destroying all the enemies in his path. We've just looked at that. But there's another level going on in these verses where Habakkuk's song is also a dramatic retelling of God's deliverance of his people. So we're not going to take as much time now, but we're going to just take a quick trip now back through verses 3 through 15. But this time we want to look at the song from the perspective of Israel's history. 
Remember Taman and Paran down in the south? They remind us of God's presence in the wilderness where God first revealed himself to the Israelites. The thunder and the earthquake, that reminds us of God giving his people the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. The plague and the pestilence remind us of the ten plagues when God delivered his people from Egypt. The victory over the rivers and the sea reminds us of Israel crossing the Red Sea and the Jordan River. The sun and the moon standing still in the sky, that reminds us of Joshua's victory over the Amorites. Piercing the head of the enemy with his own spear, that reminds us of David cutting off the head of Goliath with his own sword. Verse 13, Habakkuk speaks of God coming to deliver his people and to save his anointed one. Those words, the anointed one, uh, in the Hebrew language is literally the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? He is the son of David who had come to deliver God's people for good. And so throughout this poem, Habakkuk expertly uses images that not only describe the defeat of God's enemy, but also recalls for us God's great saving acts for his people. Their deliverance from Egypt, the exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea, the giving of the Ten Commandments, the wandering in the wilderness, the conquest of the promised land, David, the anointed king and the coming Messiah who would bring salvation for his people. And so when you're wondering, God, are you there? When you're wondering, how can you be assured of God's presence? What do you do? Remember God's mighty deeds of the past. God conquers all enemies in his path. God comes to deliver his people. One last thing. Don't just remember God's deeds from the past. Ask God to renew his deeds in the present. That's what Habakkuk did back in verse 2. Do you remember that? Let's go back to verse 2 as we close things out. He prayed, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. And he's just gone all through that in verses 3 through 15. Then he prays this, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And Habakkuk demonstrates for us two ways. Two ways that we can ask God to renew his deeds in the present. First of all, pray for both personal and corporate revival. First personal, pray for revival in your own heart first. Pray that God would give you an ever-increasing faith in him and love for him. Pray that God would give you a burning desire for holiness to see God glorified in all areas of your life. Pray for personal revival, and then pray for corporate revival. Pray for revival in the church and in the community. I pray every week for revival to come to this city, the city of Plantation and the surrounding communities. God has brought revival in the past. God can bring revival again. Pray that God would renew his deeds in the present. And then as you pray for revival, pray also for God in his wrath to remember mercy. Because you see, when you ask God to renew his deeds in the present, you are also asking him to bring judgment on the world for its sins. God cannot be active in a world of sin without also judging that sin. And so as you 
Ask God to renew his deeds. Also ask him, Lord, in your wrath, in your wrath, remember mercy. And as you pray that, I want you to realize you don't have to convince God to do that, okay? You don't have to somehow persuade God to be merciful. It is God's nature to show mercy. He is a merciful God. And so when you pray this prayer, you are praying according to God's will, and therefore you know it will be answered. The greatest example of God in wrath remembering mercy, the greatest example took place at the cross. There God poured out his wrath against sin upon his own son in order that he might show mercy to sinners like you and me who would put their faith in Christ. Habakkuk had big questions. Does God care? Is God fair? Is God there? Some of you may be struggling with those same questions. And if so, you need to capture Habakkuk's vision of the God who has done great things for his people in the past and will do them again in the present. Is God there? Yes, God is there. He is the famous one. Approach him in an attitude of worship. Know that God will defeat his enemies and deliver his people. Ask God to renew his deeds in the present. God, you did it before! Now do it again. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this amazing prayer of Habakkuk. We haven't even finished it yet. We've got some more verses to look at next week. But Lord, I pray that uh, as my son Timothy so long ago was looking for you from his bed in the middle of the night, wondering if you were there, Lord, Help us to know your presence as we approach you in worship, as we remember all the things that you've done for us, for this church, for our families, for your people in history. And then, Lord, help us to take it to that that next level. Lord, renew your deeds. Do this again. Be active in our church. Be active in my life. Be active in our community. Revive us. Revive us again, we pray, O Lord Jesus. We pray in Christ's name.